Good evening on this wonderful pre-Christmas evening. Would you like to go further tonight? Deeper? You know, the Lord honors faith. And so what you come expecting and believing for, you will receive. And so um, let's just take a moment right now and let's just pray in that way. Father, I thank you that your spirit of truth is here with us, that you said that where two or three are gathered, that there you are. And so, Father, as you're here in our midst, we ask you to bring light and understanding to us, to impart wisdom to us, that your spiritual things and gifts would be imparted in and through each one of us, that none of us would go out the same as we came in, but that we would go out in more authority and more understanding of who we are in you and understanding of what you have done for us. And I thank you for this tonight. In Jesus' name, it is so. How many know that Christmas is not about baby Jesus? You go, huh? No, it's much more than that. It starts with that, right? But it goes so much further than that. Because at Christmas time, if you are a Christian, Christian, you've got your eye on the end goal of why Christmas is important to us, right? is once we get to Easter and we celebrate that portion of it. So Christmas is a season and a time of hope for us. Because when Jesus came as a baby, that is what it was to all mankind, is hope of what was coming. If he would have stayed as a baby, it wouldn't have done any of us any good, would have it? It would have been useless to us. But because he didn't stay a baby, but he took our place in a very, very important spot on the cross and in hell, and then God resurrects him up, So that we can take his very important spot with him. And so Christmas really is a time of rejoicing. And it's about a lot more than seeing family and giving gifts. And, you know, even even at the end of a year like 2020, we have so much to be thankful for in, in this season. You know, there are, just think back a few years to the middle of World War II where whole cities in Europe were just rubble. All those people were experiencing a Christmas like they hadn't experienced before. And here you and I are, still surrounded by friends, surrounded by good things, a little bit of uncertainty, right? But we have much to be thankful for. And we can look around the world and we can see places and cities and regions that we don't have to go all the way back to World War II. We can just see um, whole countries and, and cities right now that are are coming into these same sort of things. And so much more uncertainty even than that we're facing. So let's keep our, our faith alive by being thankful. Amen. Okay? Also, I want to say at the end of the sermon, as the worship team comes up, we will have a baby dedication. And so should I somehow forget that, wave at me and say, hey, and uh, help me remember, all right? And we have a a little one, Charlene Liberty, that we're going to dedicate to the Lord together. Such a powerful name. I like it. All right. Healing is the will of God. Period. (laughs) We've been looking at this subject and exploring reason after reason from the Bible of why we believe that it is God's will to heal. And uh, we have been... How many think they know where we're going to start with our text? 
How many people are spirit-led? <laughs> now everyone's afraid to answer. Spirit of fear, we bind you. Let's go to Mark chapter 1. Now they're like, glad I didn't say Luke. Luke 5 is where we've been beginning every week. And um, so this week we're going to look at the same account in a different gospel in Mark chapter 1. So we're still starting with the same story that we, we had been. And in Mark chapter 1 verse 40 it says, Then a man with a serious skin disease came to him and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now he wasn't certain that God wanted to. He had confidence in his ability, he just didn't have confidence in his want to. And if you don't have confidence in his want to, you can't have faith for it to be yours. If you aren't confident that God wants you to be saved, you will never have faith for salvation. The same way for healing or anything else that we find that he provided for us in scripture. If you're not confident that he wants to, you won't have faith for it at all. Having having trust that he's able is different than having faith that he wants to or that he will. So he asked a question that's been asked by millions and millions of people around the world. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And in verse 41, we get the answer. He says, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand, touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately, the disease left him, and he was healed. Hallelujah. We get that question answered. Is it God's will to heal everyone? And we see that Jesus answered it with yes. Yes, I want to be made clean. We covered uh, 13 reasons, I think. Yeah, 13 reasons so far on why we believe it's God's will to heal everyone always. That doesn't mean everyone always gets healed, but it, God wants them to be healed. He isn't in heaven withholding from them. Okay, He's already settled it. He wants them healed. And so we've been looking at reasons. I'll very quickly go over them. Number one was God's Word is medicine. Number two, a strong spirit will sustain you. Number three, because of God's original creation. Number four, God's will in heaven and the new creation that is to come not going to be any sickness there. Number five is because of the origin of sickness. It comes from sin originally. And we see number six, we looked at scripture after scripture that sickness is the work of the devil. A work of the devil. And then number seven, the eternal names of God. Jehovah Rapha was one. And his name, he hasn't changed, so his name is still the same. That means I am the Lord who heals you. Number eight was God's covenant of healing. Number nine, sickness is part of the curse of the law. Number ten, Jesus Christ has redeemed us from that curse of the law. Number eleven, because of Job. Because of Job. And if you are a guest here with us tonight, then uh, I encourage you to go online and listen to these sermons and hear the reasons why we believe that. We're not going to take the time to go into it tonight. Number twelve, The Old Covenant or Old Testament types of redemption, things that were symbolic of redemption. And then number 13, because of the real deal, redemption, right? And what he did at the cross. And we looked at that a week or two ago and um, two weeks ago, I believe. And then last week, we, we explored 
the question about Paul's thorn in his flesh. What about Paul's thorn? Always seems to be a sticky subject. And, uh, and some, yeah, ouch, see, that's right on cue. And um, so what we looked at was from Scripture, we saw that a thorn in the flesh was a figure of speech. It wasn't an actual thorn that was pricking him. It wasn't a sickness or a disease, as some were trying to say, as some commentaries say. But we saw from other Scriptures that it's a figure of speech. And we saw how that this thorn was an angel of Satan that was following Paul around and causing trouble for him and stirring up persecution against him everywhere he went. You know, everywhere he went, there was either revival or riot. And so there was this messenger of Satan, not messenger of God, messenger of Satan to keep Paul from being exalted. Right? Satan doesn't like when you're exalted. But God says He will exalt you if you humble yourself. Right? So, so the devil was trying to keep Pete, Paul from being exalted due to all the revelation he'd been receiving. And so three times Paul pleads with the Lord, please take this thing away from me. Please make it stop. Please do something about this thorn. And God answered. He didn't say like many people think, no, not going to heal you. You have to put up. My grace is enough for you to just put up with it. That's how people read it sometimes. But he said instead, he said, my grace is sufficient. What does that mean? Well, a paraphrase would be that, Paul, you don't need me to do this for you. I've already given you everything you need to deal with this. See, grace isn't the cover-up. Never has been. Never will be. Grace is an ability and an empowerment that goes way past your own. It's God helping you. That's what grace is. Grace isn't God overlooking your sin. Grace isn't God forgiving your sin. That's mercy. And we'll talk some more about that tonight as we go further. <clears throat> In fact, the way Paul was supposed to deal with this thing, because he was asking the Lord to do something about it when really he could do something about it, was Jesus said it this way. He said, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and on scorpions. And he wasn't talking about actual snakes and scorpions. He was talking about devils, if you read it in the context. And over all the power of the enemy. And so when you use the grace of the Lord, you can overcome whatever the enemy throws at you. You can quench every fiery dart that the devil throws at you with the shield of faith. And so faith is an equal opportunity employer. And no matter what your station in life, where you come from, what your past is, if you will just believe the simple gospel, it will be true for you. Amen. So, are you ready to go on to reason number 14? Yeah. Reason number 14, why we believe healing is always the will of God for everyone is because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection. So, Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I have a whole bunch of reasons to get through yet, so we're going to see how fast and far we can go tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 10. So he's going through, actually, let's go to verse 9. We'll start there. Do you not know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, revilers, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. 
Some of you were like this. I like that he put were in there. Some of you were like this. That's not their current station. They were like this. He goes on and he says, but you were or you are washed, you are sanctified, and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Sometimes people say that, well, I'm just a sinner. I'm just an old sinner. And I've heard many people say that. I one time said, said to somebody, well, never mind, I won't get into that because I'll get off, off my rails. Stay focused. I once, I, I uh, anyhow, this, so, where was I? Focused, like I said. Don't call yourself an old sinner unless you've not, not made Jesus the Lord of your life, okay? Just because, you know, when I was five years old and six years old, I used to sit on my mom's lap as we were driving a 1978 Monte Carlo. And um, I would sit on her lap and I would steer the car, you know, going down the gravel roads, backcountry roads. We lived out in the sticks. And there wasn't all these seatbelt laws and, you know, some of you know what I'm talking about. And you could freely roam around the car. Well, I'd sit on her lap and I would steer the vehicle and she would run the foot pedals. Now, I was nowhere tall enough to reach those pedals. I couldn't drive the car. I just knew I could keep it going in a general direction, right? And did that make, just because I steered the car, did that make me a driver? No, it didn't. Just because you as a saint, born again, blood-washed saint of the Lord, have sinned, that does not make you a sinner, Right? Just because you experience something doesn't make you a sinner. If you've sinned, put it under the blood. Thank the Lord for it. Stop your sinning. Use grace to live above it. Right? Grace is the ability to live without sin, not just put up with it. So anyhow, let's keep going here. You are washed, sanctified. and Someone say, I am washed. I am sanctified. I am justified. Hallelujah. That is good news. All right, let's look in, uh, well, let me ask a question before I read this next part. Does God care about your body? We're talking about resurrection. So does God, does your body matter to the Lord? Or is he concerned only about your soul and your spirit? Why is he not just content to be in heaven with a whole bunch of born again spirits? Maybe our bodies matter to him. Let's look here in verse 12. If, now, there's some things here in quotation, or, or there's questions or statements that Paul is bringing correction to. And so here's some of these statements that he, he's writing. One of the statements apparently that they were using is, everything is permissible for me. But he corrects it and he says, but not everything is helpful. Then he uses the statement again, everything is permissible for me. And he corrects it again. He says, but I will not be brought under the control of anything. And then there was this other statement that was going around that he quotes. He says, foods for the stomach and the stomachs for food. And he brings correction. He says, but God will do away with both of them. The body, he's still bringing correction to that statement. He said, the body, I'll, I'll paraphrase something here first. The body is not for food, but for something else. It's also not for, he says, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are the members of Christ? 
So your body is for the Lord. Someone say, my body is for the Lord. And the Lord is for my body. So let's ask the question again. Is your body important to the Lord? Notice it does not say, the spirit is for the Lord. It says the body is for the Lord. And later on we're going to talk a lot more in depth about the temple of the Holy Ghost and that'll be a reason. We're not, that's not where we are right now. Right now we're talking about resurrection. But I will mention that if, if the temple, if we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, if our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, do you think He wants a broke down and abused temple? Shouldn't He have the best available? Absolutely, alright? So that puts certain responsibilities on us to give Him a good temple, a good body. And believe for healing if you need it in your body. Alright, let's keep... uh, Did I read verse 15? Yes. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And um, one thing I'll mention that Jesus, He redeemed us spirit, soul, and body. Our whole being. Three parts. He redeemed each part. He gave His spirit for our spirit. He gave His soul for our soul. He gave His body for our body. He didn't leave any part of us unredeemed. Did you hear me? There's no part of you that is unredeemed. Every part of you, spirit, soul, body, it has been purchased, the bills have been paid, and you all you have to your account is inheritance. Inheritance. All right, let's keep going. Verse 16. Just because I want want you to get the full context of what he's saying here. So we're members of Christ. So should I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Verse 16. Do you not know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For it says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every sin, this is another one of those quotes that, he, that he's now quoting that apparently was a saying. Every sin a person can commit is outside the body, and he brings this correction. He says, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a sanctuary for the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which belong to God. So glorify God where? In your body. So is your body important? That's the question we're answering right now as we talk about resurrection. Is your physical flesh and bone body that is sitting in these seats tonight, is it important to the Father? Yes, yes, absolutely it is. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians 15 now. Chapter 15 and... We are going to look at some resurrection scriptures. Chapter 15 in verse 1 says, Now brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaimed to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it. If you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believed to no purpose or you believed in vain. You know, and let me just say this. If you come to this house expecting deep theological Um, teachings, you're at the wrong place. So this is what what we do in this house. Simple, basic, shoe leather teachings that we can apply to our life, right? It's simple enough for everybody to understand it, and we don't ever want to get high and heady in it, right? There's, There's colleges and universities that can do that. We're here 
to preach the simple gospel and apply it simply in our life. Verse 3, for I passed on to you as important what I also received. And now he lays out this simple gospel. He says, "Here, this is the gospel. That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. That He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. That He appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Why, why do they often call when a saint dies asleep in the Word? Because it's temporary, right? When you sleep, if you look at somebody sleeping, you, you know it's temporary. Soon they're going to be up and about. It's very temporary. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not ineffective. Paul is a really good example of God's grace. God's ability turning a persecutor into one of the um, great men of God that gave us a lot of this Scripture that we read. His grace was not ineffective. Go on and read, however I worked more than any of them, yet not I, but God's grace that was in me, His empowerment, His enablement, it was God's abilities working within Him. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we preach and so you have believed. Now, if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is without foundation or is useless, and so is your faith. In addition, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we've testified about God that He raised up Christ, whom, if he did not, whom He did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. If the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless You are still in your sins. You know, resurrection is promised to us as saints. And Jesus Christ, He was, well, let's jump down to verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, everyone say first fruits, of those who have fallen asleep. He is the first of a whole bunch more of something that's coming. What is a first fruit? When you go out to the field and you pull in your first fruit, it's the first of a whole bunch of what's going to come, right? So Christ, the resurrected one, is the first fruit of what's coming. And, and if God is going to resurrect everybody, because see, the body that you now have is also going to be, it's going to be renewed, it's going to be changed, but it's still going to be this body. This body, right? But it's going to be souped up. It's going to be able to do things that this body can't do. Remember Jesus' glorified body when He came back? He goes through walls. But He eats. He's able to cook breakfast out there at the seashore. He's able to do all these things, but then also defy the laws of natural physics. Because He had a glorified body. Well, we're all going to be that way. However, Jesus' body, the reason that Let's make it simple. Jesus' body in the tomb 
wasn't still there and a new body for Jesus out walking around. Are you with me? So the body you have now is what you're going to have. Now you're probably going to look better, right? You're probably going to be able to sing higher and lower and louder and all these things, right? But it's still going to be the same body. Jesus didn't decay and go to nothing and stay there and God just give him a new body. No, his body was changed and, and he put on immortality, but it was still his same body. So resurrection. Let me just cut right to the end and then we'll come back in and fill in all the blanks. If the Lord can bring something that's completely dead and soup it up so much that it can go through walls, do all these other things, right? Defy the laws of natural laws. If He can do that with a body that has been completely decomposed and go to nothing, bring it all back together from the four winds wherever it blew or from the sharks, different sharks that ate it and then pooped them out and then He floated to some shore somewhere. Come on! I mean, think about it. People that are complete burnt up were nothing but ashes and smoke and gone. The Lord is able to bring all that back together into their physical body again. Then certainly Him healing you and I is a real small thing. Him taking a body that's already alive and just fixing that little ailment right there is really small in comparison to bringing back someone who's been ate by sharks and all over the world. But He's going to do it. Alright, verse 20. Let's read it again. It was just that good. But now. Someone say now. now. That's at this time. That means there is a living Jesus with flesh and bone sitting at the right hand of God in a live physical body. He exists and is alive right now. Now Jesus has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward at his coming, the people of Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. Notice that death is an enemy of Christ. An enemy of God. Death is not our friend. Nobody has been rescued by sweet death. Death is an enemy. Alright? And the reason your body wants to stay alive and fights it because it's not natural to die. God didn't create your body to die. Right? Talk about original creation, about not having sickness and disease in the original creation in Adam. You know, what day did God create sickness in the Garden of Eden? He didn't. That came because of sin and because of the fall. And so when we look here, we say, well, death is an enemy. It's not our friend. So are our bodies, do you think our bodies are important to the Lord? Let's jump all the way down to verse 49 and save some time here. I won't read it all. Chapter 15 is such a powerful chapter. It's fun to just read it and get all revved up when you're home alone. All right, verse 49, it says, And just as we have borne the image of the man made of dust, we also will bear the image of the heavenly man. Brothers, so what was his image of the heavenly man? Remember, he'd go through walls, but he still liked eating things. He was able to do all these things. All right, 
Brothers, I tell you this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And corruption cannot inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. You don't have to understand exactly how all the scientific processes are going to work to believe it. Okay? We will not all fall asleep or die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. We're not all going to die. What does that mean? Well, there's going to be just vast amounts of people still alive when that trumpet blast blows, right? So they're not going to have to fall down and die. It's just in a moment they're going to be changed. First the dead in Christ will rise and then they're going to be changed. It's going to be amazing. We're going to want to see reruns of that one. I guarantee it. Show us again, show us again. That was awesome, Lord. You know, our bodies, our spirit, your spirit is not what's resurrected. Because it was never dead. I mean, if you've been born again, and your physical body dies, your spirit's not dead. You're still alive. Like what Karen said earlier when I asked the question. So you're still somewhere, you're still alive, you're still with the Lord. Your body is dead, and so that's why your body gets resurrected. If our bodies weren't important to the Father, then why did Jesus go around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil? Why didn't He just go around delivering from possession of devils, but not actually healing those that were oppressed by devils? Because their physical bodies were important to Him. And that was part of doing good. And so, let's go now to Ephesians 1. How many are glad for a resurrection? Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in Him, when you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. This word, some translations is down payment. Some translations use the word earnest. He is the earnest. Some will use, uh, the translations will say deposit. A deposit guaranteeing something. Um, that word earnest or deposit or down payment, as it uses in this translation, this is what it means. It means a pledge that is part of the purchase money or property given in advance as security for the rest. In the real estate business, they call it earnest money. And when you make an offer on a house and you give them several thousand dollars of earnest money, I mean, it might be ten, twenty thousand dollars of earnest money. And what does that money say? It means I intend to buy this property. And if I do not buy this property, you get to keep my earnest money. So it is the first of a lot of what's coming, the first payment of many payments coming, right? It's a pledge. So, let's read the verse again. He says, He is the down payment. He is the pledge. He is the security of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. He is our down payment. Now, the down payment is now at this time. It's not in the future. It's, it's already been. It's given. He lives within us. The Holy Spirit within you is that down payment. It's right now. It's current. And it's just a taste of what's coming. It's not the whole enchilada, right? It's just a taste of it. It's not the whole deal. 
Let's look at, uh, I'll just read several other translations to you. It'll help it come alive. The NIV says it this way, When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. The uh, Passion Translation says, Now we have been stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. He is given to us like an engagement ring is given to a bride as the first installment of what's coming. The Message Translation, more of a commentary, both of those are that I was just reading, than they are Bibles, but nevertheless, he translates it this way. He says, the signet from God is the first installment on what's coming. A reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us. A praising and glorious life. I like that. A reminder. That's what security is. It's a reminder, and it shows your intention. It also is a reminder of what's coming. So that spirit within our body, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, so we're still talking resurrection. Let's go over to, um, as you think about earnest or down payment or security, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 10 says, We always carry the death of Jesus in our body. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our spirit? No, it says in our body. We carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus can be revealed. That means it's seen, it's visible. People are aware of it, of the life of Jesus in our body. He goes on, he says, for we who live are always given over to death because of Jesus. Another way of saying it is everyone seems to be trying to kill us. Remember all the persecution, the list of things we looked at? It's amazing. And then he says, so that Jesus' life may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. Talking about the physical body. So that the life of Jesus might be revealed. Well, Jesus being the resurrected one, that's, that's the life of Jesus visible on display. The Spirit of Christ now lives in us. That deposit, that security of what's coming, that our body's going to be fully souped up, just like His was right? The whole, the whole thing. But right now, we get to have Him in still quickening our body, making our physical body alive, our mortal flesh alive. The down payment of the resurrection is Him healing you right now. Him being quickening your mortal flesh here on this, at this time on this planet. Let, let's look at chapter 5 here in verse 1 and read the first five verses. For we know that if our earthly house, he's talking about his body still, if our earthly house, a tent, a tent is very temporary, isn't it? Is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. And in fact, we groan in this one. Sometimes when I get up in the mornings, I feel like that, right? I groan in this one, go, hey, what's that? You got to wake up, be alive, speak to it, right? Since he goes, uh, we groan in this one, longing to put on our house from heaven. Since when we are clothed, it's going to be amazing when we put on that completely reamped up body, <laughs> renewed body. You're going to feel freer than a bird, right? You're going to be able to run faster than you've ever imagined running. You're going to, I don't know, maybe you could fly. You won't need no Mandalorian jetpack. You just fly without it. <laughs> but it's going to be amazing. Verse 3, since when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we who are in this tent groan, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed. 
so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And the one who prepared us for this very thing is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. Now, why would verse 5 be on here when he's talking about the body? But him giving us the Spirit as down payment when he's talking about this renewed body. And Paul had just got done saying, just prior to this, we read it, how the life of Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, is what is renewing their mortal flesh, their mortal body. So he makes it very, very clear here that it is not just for blessing in the afterlife, but it is also now in this mortal flesh. He's the down payment. Caused your spirit to be born again and made you alive spiritually on the inside. So the life of Christ flows to your physical body from the inside out. Just as you prosper in your soul. Isn't that what it says when it talks about health and prosper in your soul? He says, I want you to prosper. That's physical body. Even as your soul inside prospers. And so here... While we haven't been fully resurrected, we can experience a taste of the full deal. You know, call it mini-resurrections. Little bits of resurrection. Healing. (laughs) Healing in our bodies. He quickens and gives life to our body. Now, let's uh, close out reason number 14 and look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. Now, if Christ is in you, The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, someone say in me, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. That's now. That's at this time. He lives in you. In fact, in a few chapters earlier, in chapter 5, verse 17, he said, since by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, that was Adam, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness do something, listen up, reign in life. That's not future life in heaven. That's right here, right now, at this time, the Spirit of Christ in you makes you alive. And that's the down payment that healing that's available to you is a down payment of your resurrected body that's coming. So, reason number 14 why we believe healing is the will of God for everyone is because of the resurrection. Reason number 15 that we believe healing is for everyone is because God is our Father and He is a good Father. Let's go to Galatians and we'll look at a couple scriptures. Galatians 3 verse 26. For you are all sons of God. And now it says how that happens through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you have, as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or free, female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed. Heirs according to to the promise. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and stewards until the time set by his father. The time set not by himself, but by his father. 
In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elemental forces of the world. But, I'm so glad for the buts in the Bible. But, when the completion of the time, the time that was set by the Father, when the completion of the time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adopted into the family. There are some here tonight that are adopted or have adopted uh, family members. That someone, that someone came and chose you. Right? You weren't just born to someone, but someone else came along and chose you to be in their family. Well, God chose you. God chose you, even though you weren't in His family. And adopted you and made you part of the family with full rights to everything as you use the family name. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Abba, Father. Abba originates from the Chaldee language. It's an Aramaic word. Um, and some say it means daddy or papa, but it carries an intimate and informal tone to it. It's intimate, kind of like maybe a, a child would say to a daddy, completely trusting. Yet it's in Aramaic. The next word is a Greek word, the word father that's translated here. And so he uses the Aramaic from the Jews. He uses the Greek from the Gentiles and makes the two one, brings them together. And really he's saying father twice. And so he says that well, actually, this is a term that Jesus used. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was praying in, uh, in Mark 14 where he, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Knowing what God's will was. He changed his desires. But he's talking to the Lord as Abba, Father. As intimate and also formal, Father. Let's go to Matthew 7. Someone say, God is my Father. Good Father. Matthew 7, verse 7. <clears throat> Put this up on the screen in the NIV, please. Some, some of the translations, um, as the Holman does, it puts, instead of ask, it puts it as keep asking. Um, but I think some translation, other translations get it better. Matthew 7, and we'll begin in verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Search. Someone say ask. ask. Say search. search. And you will find. Knock. And the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So there's a responsibility on us to ask, to look for it, and then once you find it, to knock. Right? And what does it promise? If you ask, you will receive. If you search, you will find. If you knock, it will be open to you. Now, verse 9, what, he makes a parallel. He goes, what man among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a snake. 
You know, what kind of father would that be that would do such a thing? It would be horrible, wouldn't it? He ought to be thrown in prison. Ask for bread and give him something poisonous and bad. Give him stones. Ask for a fish. Give him a snake. And then he makes a statement. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, so even, even someone that's completely heathen knows how to give a good gift to their child. How much more will your father, everyone say father, my father, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Do good things for those who ask him. Yet there's many, many people out there that think, you know, they're, they're chewing on gravel, they're getting bit and stung. And they're being told by their pastors and preachers that God is the one that's behind it. I mean, that's been, that's been said through many, many denominations, and it's a lie. And we have to be bold to confront it and to stand up for the character of God and say, no, that's a lie. That's not what God does and who He is. He's a good Father. He gives good gifts, not bad gifts. You don't ask for something and then, well, you know, the Lord just knew in His great wisdom I needed a car accident instead. I mean, but even in this house, sometimes we'll think this way. We'll say, like, don't ask, don't pray for patience. Right? See how sneaky it is? Because people think that when they pray for patience, now they're going to have to uh, have really difficult time that's going to try their patience. And yet, it's a lie. That's not how the Lord works. Let me read you a scripture. Listen to this. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. How high is that? How high are the heavens above the earth? Pretty, pretty large, isn't it? That much, so great is His faithful love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, how far is that? You could get in an airplane and fly west and fly west forever, right? Never going to come to now we're east. You're still flying west. That far is how far He has removed our transgressions, our sins from us. As a father, someone say, as a father. As a father father has compassion or mercy on His children, so the Lord has compassion and mercy on those who fear Him. See, He has compassion on His children. He's not a taskmaster. For He knows what we are made of remembering (laughs) That word dust. He remembers, yeah, they have some limitations going on down there, don't they? And so he keeps that in mind. He is compassionate. He is a good father that gives us good gifts. And healing is one of those things. It would be a bad father that would have the ability to heal his son of cancer And would withhold it because he would be trying to teach the son a lesson. Right? Right? That would be a horrible father. It would be a bad father. And so if God, the same way, knows how to give good gifts, he would not withhold healing from you. Because he's a good father. So reason number 15 and why we believe that healing is the will of God for everyone is because God is our father and he's a good father. Reason number 16, why we believe healing is always God's will, is because healing is the children's bread. 
What does that mean? Well, let's find out. Let's go to Matthew 15. Healing is the children's bread. Matthew 15, verse 21. When Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly tormented by a demon. Yet he did not say a word to her, so his disciples approached him and urged him, Send her away because she cries out after us. Apparently they were getting annoyed and maybe she's making a scene, I don't know. But they didn't like it. They're like, do something about her. Verse 24, he replied, now he, now he does something about it. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. <laughs> Such a simple request, isn't it? Lord, help me. What's he dealing with? He's dealing with covenant versus no covenant. Rights versus no rights. And the covenant was made with the Jews. That God had made with mankind was with the Jewish people, not with the Gentiles. And so she didn't have the covenant rights to just come up and ask for healing, as a Jew would. And so he's aware of that. That's why he says what he does. And uh, this is, uh, if, we, if we can get a hold of the faith this lady had, he answered, she goes, help me. In verse 26, he answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Essentially, he's calling her a dog. It's not right that I take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now notice it does not say um, the rarest, finest dessert. Bread, it's a staple. It's the necessary nourishment. Right? And so he's not just, it's not a rare treat. It's the normal, everybody gets this. Even the children. Bread. And he's saying, you don't have the covenant rights to this. And so, she has a response to this whole calling her a dog. She goes, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's going, yeah, healing, or the children have the bread. That's right. And I'm a dog. Woof, woof. You know? She's not arguing with him. She's going, but even the dogs have rights to the crumbs. And a crumb is enough. A crumb of the loaf is enough to, for healing. That's where her faith was. I don't need a whole slice. I don't need the loaf. Just give me a crumb and it'll do the job. <laughs> and what was Jesus' statement? He goes, and Jesus replied to her, Woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that hour, her daughter was cured. Glory. A crumb is enough. Someone say, a crumb, crumb. will do. But now I have good news. Let's go to Psalm 23. You don't need to stop with a crumb. You have full covenant rights to the whole enchilada. (laughs) Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Right? There's a statement that just sets the tone for everything else. Covenant. You belong to Him. You're His sheep. There is nothing I lack. Absolutely nothing I lack. So there's no crumb, no whole slice, no whole enchilada. There is nothing I lack. Physically, spiritually, solically. He lets me lie down in green pastures. And if you go, oh, wait a minute. It doesn't mean uh, physically. I said who? 
I'm not adding things to it. I'm just taking his blanket statement of I lack nothing. He didn't, he didn't say only in this realm. He said I lack nothing. That covers all realms. So if you're adding something in, you better not do that. Take it for what he said. He goes, he leads me beside quiet waters. Well, that, that's, that's a natural thing. He restores my soul. Now he's talking about his soul. He leads me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now check out verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, there's no enemies in heaven. So this is not talking about once we get to heaven. This is talking about in this life where there are enemies present. You prepare a feast, a table before me, in the, right in front of our enemies. Man, you need to sometime have, ask for a whole loaf right in front of the problem. Right? Don't just ask for a crumb, ask for the whole loaf. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Does that sound like just crumbs to you? No, it's more than enough. I don't lack anything. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what do we have here? We have healing is the children's bread. It belongs to the children. It's like the basic staple that belongs to the covenant children. And you and I are in that new, better covenant than even they had back then. And so it belongs to you. Someone say, God is my Father. I am His child. Healing is my bread. Healing belongs to me. So reason number 16 and why we believe that healing is the will of God for everyone is because healing is the children's bread. It's your covenant rights. It's the staple that's going to get you through. So are you ready for reason 17? Can you handle another one? All right, let's go for it. Reason number 17 and why we are certain that healing is the will of God for all people is because of the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Now this is a big one and we could probably spend several sermons on it. I'm not going to do that. Let's go over to Mark chapter 1 where we started this whole thing tonight. Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. This was our text that we started with. This is the story we've been reading again and again. But there's a detail here in Mark 1 that we don't find in Luke 5 where we've normally been reading. It says, Then a man with a serious skin disease came to him and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. Now what caused him to do that? Compassion. He was moved with compassion. That means deep on the inside. It means like in your bowels. And if you look at the root word of what it means in all, in all of this in, in the uh, Greek, it, actually one of the words is spleen. <laughs> it's meaning you're moved on the inside. It's from deep within that you're moved by this. And so he is moved with compassion. Jesus reaches out his hand. He's not afraid of him. He's not, a, you know, he's not saying, hey, social distance, stay back. None of that. He just reaches out. He touches him. He goes, I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately the disease left him and he was healed. So here we see, what was reason number 17? The mercy of God. Mercy and compassion 
are very, very closely, you can't unhook, uncouple the two from each other. If you have compassion, you also have mercy. If you have mercy, you also have the compassion. And so let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and let's see something interesting, especially because we talked about God being our Father already. And our 17th reason is because of the mercy of God. We're confident in the healing that God wants us, wants to heal us, that He's willing to heal us because of His mercy. In verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Father of mercies. He is our Father. He is a good Father. And He is the Daddy of mercies. Plural. Not mercy. Mercies, plural. If it only be one singular mercy, it might only be for sin. But that's not the case. He has mercy on us in all kinds of areas, doesn't He? He has mercy on us for our sins. He has mercy on us for when we do stupid things, right? When we make bonehead decisions and He can have mercy on us. He has mercy on us for our finances. I mean, I've experienced His mercy in finances. You know, I made some real mistakes and I had someone one time come up and forgive $60,000. Just done. You don't owe it. That's called mercy, right? And so... The mercy of God, the Father of mercies, he, there's many areas we can experience. You know, you can experience mercy in your marriage, mercy in relationships. The mercy of God will absolutely restore things that were seemed broken and hopeless. You can have mercy on your physical body, and we could just go on and on and give examples of this. Mercy, um, let me say this, actually let's read the rest of the verse. Um, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I'm so glad He's the Father of mercy. Mercy is not... Listen to this description. Mercy is not getting the judgment and punishment that you rightly deserve. That's what mercy is. It's not getting what you should get and what you deserve in the negative sense. It's mercy is when you don't receive what you earned in the negative sense, right? That's what mercy is. I've told you this story before. I'll go through it very, very quickly to bring out my point. You know, when I was 16 and and I had, um, one night I was driving my mom's car and I rolled a stop sign in our local town of Seymour that we lived in and a police officer stops me and takes me to his car. That was how they did it back, back in Missouri then. And so I'm sitting in the car with him, and he, he writes up the whole ticket. And just as he's getting done, I realize I see his name, is, his last name is Holcomb. And so I ask him, because my grandpa had a neighbor, that his last name was Holcomb, right? And so I said, well, do you know Dean Holcomb? And he stops, and he looks at me, and he looks back at my ID. He's all of a sudden realizing what my last name is, right? He looks back at my ID, and he looks at me, and he goes, you know Dean? I said, well, yeah, he's our neighbor. He's like the best neighbor in the whole world. And because he was, he was just an amazing, like I couldn't wish, we, we couldn't have wished for a better neighbor. And uh, he goes, are you Emery's son? That'd be my grandpa. And I said, no, he's my grandfather. And so he pulls the ticket out, he tears it up and he, go, and he explained that it was because of my grandfather's good name that he was doing this. So it wasn't something that I had earned. It wasn't something I had done, but he had mercy on me because of something someone else had done. And he goes, you know, make sure you stop at the gas stations. And I even said, look, I'm not asking for you to let me off. You know, hey, I did it. 
You know, I'm like, guilty as charged. And he's like, no, no, just make sure you stop. Okay, thank you, thank you. I leave. Several nights, maybe a week or two weeks later, I, it's late one night, it's raining, I'm driving, I have a uh, 71 Chevy truck that was all souped up, and it was a great truck, and I like to drive it fast. And I come flying in one of the back roads of town one night, and he was sitting up a side street, and suddenly there is Christmas lights in my rear view. Now I'm thinking to myself, please God, don't let that be Mr. Holcomb. And... Um, Oh, that's who climbs out of the car. And he comes walking up, and I have my window open, and before he even gets to the cab of my truck, I say, Sir, just go write me up. Don't even ask me questions. I deserve it. And uh, he goes, Not you again. <laughs> yeah, me again. I'm sorry. He goes, No, I don't want to give you a ticket. I don't want to write you a fine. What I want is for you to stay safe and keep our town safe. And he had mercy on me again. He said, I tell you what, I won't write you a ticket. Here's what I want you to do for me. Give me your word that you will not speed and break laws in the town of Seymour anymore. I said, deal. I will not. Whether you write me up or not, I give you my word right now. I will, I will obey the laws. And so he didn't write me up. He had mercy on me. He didn't give me what I deserved. He didn't give me what I asked him for because I knew it belonged to me, right? Instead, he, he and you know what? I kept my word to this day. I don't even know if he's living anymore. To this day, when I go back and visit our hometown, I obey the laws in the city of Seymour. I said I would way back when. That did more to slow me down and make me a law-abiding citizen in that town that's the, that's the, in that town, the mercy he had for me absolutely transformed my behavior. It had a major effect on me, right? That's what the mercy of God will do and provide for you. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 9. Man, I went to my grandpa and I thanked him. Thank you for being an awesome neighbor to Dean. <laughs> it's because of you I didn't get a ticket. <laughs> Then the mayor of our town, they really liked us, and they told me, look, if you ever get written up, come tell us, and we'll take care of it for you. And, um, well, I didn't need to because I was no longer getting any fines there. Because <laughs> I was obeying the law. Matthew 9, verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, shouting, I know I've often heard Pastor Dale talk about this verse. He says it's one of the funniest verses in the Bible because how do blind men follow you? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they had someone leading them. But at any rate, these blind guys are following him and they're shouting, Have mercy on us, son of David! And when he entered the house, guess where he was going? The blind men approached him and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I can do this? Yes, Lord, they answered him. Then he touched their eyes, saying, Let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Now, what did they cry out and ask for? Notice they asked for mercy. They didn't ask for healing. Lord, heal us! They said, Lord, have mercy on us. Mercy, remember, it's unearned and undeserved. They're asking for something that they can't earn nor deserve. 
mercy from this blindness, disease, whatever was wrong. They asked for mercy, yet what did they receive? Ask for mercy, received healing. Might there be a connection here? Yes, yes. See, healing is one of the many, remember, mercies, plural of God, Father of mercies. He has mercy on our sin. He has also mercy on our physical body. So healing is one of the mercies of God. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't receive it because of your holy living. You can't prove yourself good enough, long enough to deserve this mercy of healing. Mercy, I I said this before, I'm going to say it again. Mercy means that you don't get the judgment and punishment, the bad outcome that you should be getting. Instead, you get something that you don't deserve. Grace. Grace, the ability to do things and go places and have victories that you don't deserve. But it's an important thing to understand. Mercy and grace are not the same thing. Mercy doesn't give you what you ought to rightfully get in the negative sense. Punishment, judgment. Grace gives you what you don't rightfully deserve, right? In a good sense. Listen to these scriptures. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Full of compassion, abundant, rich in mercy, one translation says. Rich in mercy. That's in Psalms 86.15 if you're taking notes. Listen to this one. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all His works. Notice how the goodness of God and the compassion of God and the mercy of God are continually linked here. That's in uh, Psalms 145. Listen to this one out of Psalms 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, we already read this one, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His mercy. His, the word's also kindness. It can be translated kindness. So great is His kindness. See, when you have mercy on someone, you're being very kind to them. Officer Holcomb was very, very kind to me, even though I didn't deserve it. Even though I said, go ahead and judge me. Don't do that, by the way. If you're standing in front of judgment, don't say, yep, drop the hammer. No, because Jesus paid the price. Point to him and go, he's my attorney. Talk to him. And he'll say, it's paid. It's done. That's canceled. No case pending. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy or kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion or mercy on those who fear him. For he knows that we are made of dust. Peter is a great example of the mercy of God, the mercy of Jesus. You know, he was had a lot of good intentions. And he was pretty outspoken and made some pretty bold promises, didn't he? I'll never leave you, man. I'll go to the death with you. I would never forsake you. And Jesus is saying, yeah, no, you're going to. No, I would never do that. I mean, bold promises. And yet that very night, he denies even knowing him. 
Don't even know the guy. Don't know, don't know what you're talking about. I mean, that's a radical difference, isn't it? I mean, if you had a friend that at the moment of your need, like one of your best friends, and at the moment of your need, where they could have, someone could have stood up and said, no, no, this isn't true. I've been with him the whole time. None of what you're saying is true. And yet, your friend goes, no, who's that? It'd probably hurt, wouldn't it? It's probably why at the resurrection, when Jesus appeared down there at the tomb, he tells them, go tell the disciples and Peter. And Peter, because he knows he's hurting. He knows, man, he went out and wept bitterly. He was in like major regret. Because he understood, mm, I did that. And so he's like, and tell Peter. Of course, as Pastor Kurt said, maybe Peter was afraid of the conversation that was now coming. Because a little short time later, out there at breakfast, Jesus gives Peter a second chance, another opportunity. And he asks him, do you love me? Yeah. He asks him this three times. And this is the mercy of God. Instead of having the conversation with Peter, Peter, you know, you um, went ahead and and denied even knowing me. We're going to, like... You can be one of us, but you're going to have to do all the foot washing, carry all the luggage, clean up after us, and you can hang out with us, I guess. He didn't do that, did he? Instead, he gives him the most sacred of responsibilities. The guy that denied even knowing him. And he says, okay, if you love me, then feed my sheep, take care of them, tend to them, feed my lambs. That's the mercy of Jesus on full display. And remember, Jesus is the exact expression and image of God and His will in the earth. The mercy of God on display. And grace. Don't forget the grace. Where were we at? In Matthew 9, maybe? All right, let's look, jump down to now verse 35, and we'll just keep reading here for a little bit. Then Jesus, so He tells them, actually, back up in verse uh, 31, or, or 30, and their eyes were opened, then Jesus warned them sternly, be sure that no one finds out. And this was when he healed these two blind guys. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout that whole area. And so then down in verse 35, then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. So he only did what was the Father's will, right? But so now here he shows what's his will, every disease, every sickness healed. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. What is he saying here? Watch what the Father's mercy does. This harvest had become so big, it was too big for one reaper. So he is going to do something about it. He said, pray for more reapers. And then in chapter 10, verse 1, summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. Jesus' compassion had become so well known that the harvest had just swelled up to where he needed help handling it. He's going to send them out. Gives them authority to heal every sickness and every disease. And this is one of the mercies of God. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 14. 
In verse 14, it says, as he stepped ashore, he had just was crossing the, crossing the lake or sea or pond. And as he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd. He felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Notice how the compassion, the mercy of God, results in healing again and again and again and again through Scripture. Not one person that came to Jesus and asked for mercy was ever turned down. Not one person. Every last one of them went away with their healing. Mercy and healing. Healing is a mercy of God. Now, here's a question. Think about it. There's this huge crowd. They've all heard about him. They're there. The crowds are getting massive. If we would have read all the verses between these two, you would have seen that. And um, so here he heals all their sick. So the question is this. Do you think that all those people in that crowd that were sick deserved healing? They all lived such moral right lives that they all deserve to be healed? Because often we disqualify ourselves, don't we? Yeah, well, I did that. I guess I deserve that. Yeah, but the price has been paid. The bill has been paid and dissolved. And you don't have to now pay the debt. Yeah, you might have done that, but thank God there is mercy. And with mercy comes provision and healing and redemption and deliverance and victory. There's a, um, let's go over to chapter 20 here and see something very, very quickly. Chapter 20, verse 29. Here's another account. This is still in Matthew. The last account about the two blind men was in Matthew. Now this is a, in another account of two blind men. Same writer, okay? It's not the same, same incident, but he's telling two different stories. The same guy's telling two different stories. In verse 29, as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and there were two blind men sitting by the road. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, same thing as the other guys. Maybe they even heard that the other guys had done it, asked for mercy, and got it. Boy, if we ever get a chance to tell each other, we're going to ask him for mercy. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd told them to keep quiet, but they cried out all the more. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. So Jesus stopped, called them. And said, your sins are forgiven. And went on his way. So nobody's going to say no. (laughs) No, that's not what he did. No, it wasn't. The mercy wasn't for their sins. I think that's already clear to you all, but I'm just going to keep hammering that nail. Jesus stopped, called them and said, what do you want me to do? Lord, they said to him, open our eyes. Moved with compassion. That's mercy. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately they could see, and they followed Him. Listen to this scripture out of Isaiah 63. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the great goodness to the house of Israel that He has granted them according to His mercy. According to His compassion, the great goodness that He's done to the house of Israel. According to His abundant, loving kindness. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to go to a few more scriptures and we'll be done with the sermon. Reason number 17 that we believe that healing is the will of God is because of His mercy. 
God is a God of mercy. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. Check this out. Paul is writing to the Philippian church, and he makes this statement. He said, I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my needs. So apparently he had come from them. He had traveled with Paul to help him and to help in Paul's need. And so and he's also a messenger. They must have, he must have brought a messenger to Paul from them. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. You mean a traveling companion of Paul's would get sick? Sick enough that he nearly died? Yeah, apparently. However, God had mercy on him. Everyone say mercy. God had mercy on him and relieved him of his sickness by taking him in sweet death. No. No, that's not what it says at all. What does it say? God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me. Is mercy deserved? No. Mercy isn't earned. It's not deserved. And you're trying to tell me that a traveling companion of the great and mighty Paul might not have deserved to be healed? And that even the great and mighty Paul's right-hand man, that it would be a mercy to Paul, that Paul might have not deserved it? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what it's saying. It was a mercy. God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have one grief on top of another. For this reason, I'm very eager to send him so that you may rejoice when you see him again. The mercy of God healed this man. He didn't stay sick. Healing was a mercy for both of them. So tell me, if Jesus, the head of the church, is he less compassionate and less merciful today than he was 2,000 years ago? I mean, if he's the same today, yesterday, and forever, that's into the future, and from past forever, if he is the same, then that mercy is still available to you and I, to those who would ask him. Look at James chapter 5. This is the last one I think I'll ask you to turn to. I might quote a few to you yet. James chapter 5. Verse 11. He says, See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome from the Lord. And we know what the outcome was. How God like doubled him and blessed him and all these things delivered him. Then it says, The Lord is very compassionate and merciful saying this in regards to Job. And look at what the mercy and compassion did for Job. Is very merciful. Is very compassionate. Delivered him from all the things that had come against him. And not only delivered him, but like multiplied him twice as much. That's what mercy and grace and compassion will do for you. Now jump down to verse uh, 14. Just a few sentences later. Now what was he talking about? God is very merciful and compassionate. And now he makes this statement a couple state, uh, sentences later. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Isn't that mercy? Mercy on both accounts. For sin and physical body. 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The mercy of God on full display. Now I'm going to point out one more thing. You know, we have a high priest. A high priest, that man is so much better than they had in the Old Testament. Listen to these scriptures. I'm going to read to you from Hebrews 12 and Hebrews 4. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Pay attention to these two words, the descriptions of our high priest. He's merciful. Is he the same yesterday, today, and forever? Yes. He's faithful. To be faithful at something means you don't change from it. He's still faithful and he's still merciful. His mercy is still available to you and I. Hebrews 4, 14 and 16 say it this way. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, describes a high priest that way, a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find. When you search, you will what? Find. Find grace to help you in the time of need. Where you receive mercy. Something you don't deserve. Something that, I mean, yeah, you don't get what you deserve. Mercy is not getting the judgment and punishment that you deserve. And then He gives you His help and ability, something that you didn't deserve. So, very quickly recap the several reasons we covered tonight. Number 14 was we believe that healing is the God of God's will because of the resurrection. The resurrection. Number 15 is because God is our Father and He's a good Father. Number 16, healing is the children's bread. And the 17th reason now that we've looked at, that we're certain why healing is the will of God, is because of the mercy of God. So if you need healing in your body, stand in faith that His mercy is enough to deliver you from that bondage, from that oppression of Satan, from whatever it is. His mercy and grace is more than enough for you. Someone say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, I'll let you bring those. Why don't you come up here and stand with me? So Charlene Liberty. If you guys are ready, you can come up. And um, if any of your family members want to be up here and pray with us, you're welcome to. also invite the worship team to come up and take your spots. So what we like to do here is I ask several questions of the parents and then I ask several questions of us, the congregation, and the, the correct answer to these is we do for them and us. 
all right? And so I'm just giving you the, the answers to the test before we get there. Um, but we already know their heart toward their little ones, and, and so we're just bringing ourselves into agreement, but not only into agreement, but making it public, that it's on record, that this child has been um, set aside for the Lord and for His use and for His purposes and glory. Amen. All right, do you, Lee and Levina, desire that your child will grow in the fear and admonition of the Lord? And do you promise to provide for Charlene a Christian home where God is honored and His Word is taught? We do. Do you pledge yourselves to live in such a way that your words and actions will commend Jesus and His church to Charlene? Do you promise that you will be a spiritual guide for Charlene, praying and watching for the day when she will be ready to receive Christ as personal Lord and Savior? That's always such an awesome day. Do you, the people of God in this church, covenant with Lee and Levina to provide a loving church home for Charlene? We do. Do you promise to continue teaching the Bible in this church so that Charlene will never lack hearing the truth of God's Word? We do. All right, let's pray for little Charlene Liberty. Such an awesome name. Father, I thank you so much for this little precious gift of life that you have given to this family. Lord, we just present her to you right now. We dedicate her to you for your service, for your glory, for your purposes. Father, that the destiny you've, you've created and have in mind for her will be completely fulfilled, nothing left um, undone. I thank you, Lord, that you watch over her, you protect her all the days of her life, that the angels you've assigned to her will, will keep all harm from coming to her. Father, I ask that you bring her the right spouse when the time comes. You surround her with the right people to do all that you have in your heart. And I thank you for this. Father, I ask too for your wisdom to just come upon Lee and Levina, that you would just fill them full of the knowledge of your will for her. That as they as they teach her, as they grow her up, that you would just lead them in your wisdom and understanding and that they would have a knowing of even before it's needed what to do next. And I thank you for it, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. And amen. Would you like to say anything? I'll grab a mic for you if you do. Um, Just... When it came time to, to to pick a name for her, and you know, we prayed a lot about it, and you know, we just felt in our hearts, just especially in 2020 and the season that we're seeing here, uh, we just felt freedom, you know, to to be emphatic about that freedom, and uh, we, we were looking through names that that you know mean freedom, and the first name was Charlene, and just um, th- that's a very meaningful name to me as well because uh, my oldest sister was Charlene, and she had passed away um, at eight months old and um, so 
it's like a double whammy to the devil. Like, guess yeah. what? You know, it's you know, we got freedom and we still have Charlene here. So, um, so yeah, I just praise God for that that freedom and that liberty. And uh, obviously, liberty is her middle name, so it's emphatic. It's twice. So praise God. Amen. Awesome. All right. Yeah, you can give us certificate to them. All right, you may be seated. Or go stand, because we're going to worship and shout and jump and sing. Praise the Lord for His mighty mercy that He has towards each one of us. good news this week as you you know Christmas is going to be this week and so remember that it's more than gifts but it's truly about being as he was and giving and experiencing the life and freedom that he has established for us the victory he has established for us and so be that light that spreads those things everywhere you go this week. Uh, Thursday evening, we're going to, Thursday evening, Christmas Eve, I'm sorry, we're going to have a service here, Christmas Eve service at 5 p.m. It's going to be a uh, shorter service than what our services normally are. And uh, so everyone's invited to come out and be a part of that. It's going to be a special time together. What I would like for you guys to do, if you're going to be here, is be thinking about what are some good things God has done for you. Because we're going to share some testimonies and talk about His goodness at Christmas Eve. Because He is a good God. Amen? One more thing before you go. If you look up here on the stage, above the white pillars, you'll see these um, little black boxes. And what those are are LED pads. A number will come up on there if you are needed for your children downstairs. Now, our children's ministry workers are going to establish that with you as parents. They'll assign a number to you for your children that will stay their number. So if that number ever comes up, you know that you are needed downstairs for one reason or another. All right, so if the children's ministry workers or Reba or someone starts talking to you about our number system, you now know what she's talking about. All right? Bless you. Love on each other as you go. One way we love God is by loving one another. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word. 
International here at Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So glad that you're all here tonight. I'd like to encourage you before we worship in the Word of God. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tested and tried. He is a shield to all those who take refuge and their trust in him. We'll worship toward your holy temple and praise you for your name and your loving kindness and your truth and your faithfulness. For all, for you have exalted above all your name and your word. And you have magnified your word above your name. So let our, our praises be sent forth as incense before you tonight. The lifting of our hands as an evening sacrifice. My mouth shall praise your, my mouth will be filled with your praise and will honor you all the day because your loving kindness is better than life. Our lips shall praise you. So we will bless you while we live and lift our hands in the sanctuary. You know, Psalms 134.2 says, lifting up holy hands in the sanctuary and blessing the Lord. We often use our mouth as a vocal expression of worship and praise to the Lord. But do you ever think about your holy hands? They've been called holy unto the Lord. And when we lift our hands, it's actually blessing the Father. So we give him honor and worship and praise with our mouth, and we lift our hands to bless him. So let's all stand up together as family here at Church of the Word, and let's be doers of the Word of God and worship him with our mouth and with our hands. Amen. everyone. Good to see you all out. Christmas is coming. Joy is in the air. Love is in the air. Well, do we have any visitors that are with us tonight? We'd like to recognize you if you're a visitor here with us. Any visitors? Right here. Well, welcome. We trust that you're not here by accident. The Lord has something to get to you tonight, so welcome. All right, well, if you need a cash envelope for your giving, raise your hand. The ushers will see that you get one, and we're going to return the tithe to the Lord this evening. You know, we return the tithe. We give tithes, we give offerings because we love God, and it shows honor. It demonstrates that I recognize who my source is. You know, it's not me. It's He's the one we're relying on. It helps us, tithing helps us uh, remember first things are first. The Lord comes first. So right off the top, the Lord comes first with our tithe. And it reminds us that all of our resources come from him. And one of the things that we love about God, you know, we, we believe in him, we know he exists, but we love about him is his character. We love the character of God. You know, he's a giver. He's not a taker. He's faithful. Um, you can always count on him. And if you serve him, you can expect to see his goodness. 
Always keeps his word. So these are things that we love about the character of God. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16 verse 20 says this, says, Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Now, two translations I found says, says it this way. says, he who heeds the word finds prosperity. Isn't that awesome? Is there good to be found in the word? Yes. Can we expect to experience his goodness if we act on his word? Yes, we can. And those who trust in the Lord are blessed. You know, that widow lady that gave the last of her meal, last of her food to Elijah, that took trust. It says there in that account, it says that the Lord spoke to her, commanded her about that. So she had to step out and trust the Lord, giving, putting him first things first. She had to trust him. Well, was she blessed? How did that turn out for her? She was blessed. So tonight as you act on the word and you tithe and you, you return your tithe and your offerings out of love and out of honor, just we trust the Lord and expect to see his goodness. Expect good things from him because he's promised it. It's his character. All right, well, let's pray over the tithe. Father, we're so grateful to you tonight that we can count on you. And we just acknowledge you as provider. We acknowledge you as our source. We know that without you, we can do nothing. And so we just thank you for being so faithful to us, being so kind to us. Thank you for your word and that we can count on you. So I just call these people blessed. I call these people provided for according to your word in Jesus' name and amen. Amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets and the people will give to you the Lord. Well, if you would like to be part of our foundations class, that's starting up soon, January 9th. And if you haven't signed up and you would like to, you still have opportunity to sign up and... um, Be part of a class that teaches some foundational things about what we believe. And just if you want to get more grounded, um, I would encourage you to take that class.